You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And just like that, we're back. Another edition of the Late Kick Extra podcast. As you're listening to me, I'm probably motoring my way towards Indianapolis for the NFL Combine. No NFL talk on this here pod. This morning, afternoon, evening, whenever you're listening, however you're listening, and trust me, judging by the numbers you're listening, we appreciate it so much. It's time to dive into a number of different things. If you're unfamiliar with the concept around here, This usually ends up being everyone's favorite show, The Extra. We do it once a week. It's on Tuesdays. It's mailbag. It's only on pod. You can't find this on YouTube. And the way to submit questions is basically the socials, at Late Kick Josh. You also, look, added bonus, guys. You get to watch some great ping pong content, some great train hopping content, one of which we'll talk about later. So if you want to talk college football, yeah, this is the place. If you want to get a little extracurricular, not too far off the rails, but a little extracurricular, this is also... The place to do it. All right, let's dive in. Let's waste no more time. First question today. Of the campuses you've visited, which ones moved you? Which ones made you stop in your tracks? Now, you need to understand something. I did not come out of Syracuse or Northwestern Journalism School and just get pumped into the business. I lived a long time in the fan world, not just the fan world, but the fan world that probably couldn't afford tickets to a lot of games. So if you are listening and you identify with that, we are one. We are the same person. So to me, when I was a youth down in West Central Georgia, and I would watch Notre Dame. Think about growing up and seeing the movie Rudy and then watching Notre Dame games on TV. That might as well have been in Saskatchewan to me. That might as well have been in Eastern Europe to me. It was a place I was never going to be. And so when I finally got to go there covering a game in 2017, that was like a movie set to me. Going to South Bend, being on campus there, that was like a movie set to me. And so I did, you, you, you can't even imagine, if you're listening on pod, I'm holding the eye Josh up in front of me. You can't imagine how often I looked like that on that campus. And I had a credential hanging from my belt buckle, but I was, I was as fanned out as I could possibly be to the point where... I think it was the Georgia game in 2017 I was up there for. So it was last second game. It was a primetime game. We had no budget at the place I was at. So we had to drive straight from Columbus, Georgia to South Bend, Indiana. No sleep. Cover the game. So 4 a.m. wake up call. We get up there for a 7.30 p.m. kick. Four hour game. Go to the postgame pressers. Turn it right back around. Drive from almost Canada back to Columbus, Georgia. It was worth it, though. I stood in an empty Notre Dame Stadium for like 10 minutes afterwards. I still got the video on my phone just to soak it in. So I would consider that being moved. So that's one of them. Another one is I love Michigan. Finally been able to go up there and saw Ohio State. That was how I broke in 
to Ann Arbor, Michigan, was seeing them in the snow beat Ohio State. So essentially all this stuff you guys tried to tell me forever as I was living down in the South about Big Ten football, it was essentially like you, you shook up a great big snow globe full of people and that was what I experienced. So it was everything it could have been in my dreams and then some. I went down to LSU for the first time ever when Bama was in town in the Saban era. It's pretty ugly. Uh, and I say that in the most endearing of ways to our LSU listeners. But when Alabama goes into LSU in the Saban era, especially earlier on, it's uncomfortable. Really, and I'm not a Bama player. I'm not getting off their bus. I'm not wearing their colors. But I've told this story before. I had a young lady with me at the time who worked at the same station I did. And I didn't necessarily fear for my safety, but I did not feel totally comfortable until the two of us got inside the building and then it was crazy. That was the Jalen Hurts Alabama teams. So they go down there. They won. I don't think I've seen Bama lose down there because I wasn't down there this last year. But everything they said about Death Valley and then some was on display for me. Um, Tennessee and Georgia stand out to me. Huge venues, great pageantry and whatnot. But those are also places that in terms of typography, it's like the entire campus wraps itself around the stadium and it's not flat so so it's hilly terrain and it looks exactly like I think a college town should look Knoxville and also Athens they look exactly like college towns in my mind should look and the the positioning of the stadium and how you you can kind of almost drive up on it before you see it because it's so embedded inside the city or the town that I love uh, Sanford Stadium especially at Georgia I love because it's so unique it's like built into a hill and if you've ever been there before, players on the visiting side would have seen this. You walk down this massive ramp. If it's raining, there's like a 50-50 shot. You bust it walking down that hill, which I'm not so sure is not planned. But it's, it's just the uniqueness. Old buildings, the uniqueness of college venues. So I love that. Uh, Bama goes without saying when you walk on campus and you know you're standing on the field that some of the most iconic and legendary names in the history of the game and the history of the business as well have stood on. I went up to Oregon for the first time this past year. That's another place that if you grew up where I grew up, Oregon is like Russia. It's just, it's just way, 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 way up there. And you're way, way, way down here. And that's the Nike place with all the colorful uniforms. But then you go there and you realize, oh, there are people up here just like me. And they eat, sleep, and breathe it just like me. They're outside in the parking lot at 6 a.m. just like I would have been. Uh, they're hoarse when they're leaving the stadium just like I would be. And uh, love the staff up there. Uh, we got a good relationship with the staff at Oregon right now. So love that. That's also the same afternoon as Chip Kelly walking by and quoting A River Runs Through It as his team marches their way out on the field. And Penn State, since Jesse's 20 feet from me right now, half decent chance the mic is cut if I don't mention Penn State but again my first time visiting Penn State was a whiteout how could you go wrong I, I said it was the picture perfect image of what spectacle in college football was and should be everything about that afternoon I've been up there once so everything about that afternoon just reminded me what is so much greater about the Saturday product and our our Saturday experience than what you get on Sunday. Competition level, level of athleticism, there is nothing like the NFL game. But the NFL game basically 
compartmentalizes itself to on the football field. The college game only begins on the field. Everything that surrounds it is an integral part and necessary part, if you want to understand this sport, of what makes it great. So that is what has moved me in this sport. I'd be really interested to get your feedback actually on that. I got to thank you guys. I'm not, I'm going to make this really quick, but you know, when I first got here, there were some people, some high level mustache types, some of whom are in the building as we record right now, um, who just questioned whether we should do this thing year round, you know, the, the off season crowd. And I said, trust me, if we give it to them, they're going to be there. People pride themselves on college football. This company's named 24-7. Why don't you just add 365 on the end of it? Anyway, I say all that to say they gave us the leeway and you have more than delivered for us. So our numbers are out of this world amazing right now and I appreciate you for it. Next question. Actually, three questions. A, a classic trio here. And it's all about the same thing. Our, our buddy BMAC... A couple of Super Bowl rings. He's dialing in. He's saying, should Florida State leave the ACC? If so, where should they go? I got Jason down here. What are the chances Florida State and Clemson leave the ACC within four years? From Albany, Georgia, by the way. And then there was another question about how much geography is going to ever factor in to conference realignment again. I'll answer the easiest one first. Never. You're never going back to a time where geography matters. It pains me. I'm, I'm clutching my chest as I say that. Jesse, I want that screenshot for later out of context. It pains me to say that because I do not believe that market size and brand awareness is the most important thing you can acquire in college sports. That's why it's different than the pro game. In college sports, rivalries are the most valuable commodity you can have. And so when you see these teams move around and you brag about getting into the L.A. market or getting into the, the Austin and Dallas markets and the Oklahoma City and Norman, yeah, I get all that. I'm not stupid. It, it really irks. Have I ever said the word before? No, Meemaw loved that word, though. It really irks me sometimes when people are thinking on a two-level and they believe they're on an eight-level and they start explaining things to you. It's like, I, I have known what you're saying since I was able to walk and chew gum at the same time. These are not overly difficult concepts. What I'm saying is, just because it can be that way doesn't mean it should always be that way. Translation, I don't particularly love living in a world where UCLA ever plays a conference game in College Park, Maryland. But that's where we are now. So it is what it is. Moving forward... I do not think geography is ever going to matter um, to the point where it stops progress from being made. And brothers and sisters driving around out there, if you're on the treadmill, if you're, I don't know, sitting out on the back porch listening to this, I air quoted progress as hard as I possibly could because what you're seeing is not necessarily progress, but it is change. As for the other questions, though, this one's this is a lot more complicated. I know we have a lot of legal types out there. It's why I very much hesitate. I just dip the tip of my big toe in the legal water sometimes, and here you guys come. But I'm asking you to continue doing it because I never learn more, and I never realize how ignorant I am to the legal world more than when we delve or broach a topic about legalese in college football, and then I check my email inbox. So here goes. Crank it up, guys. Get ready. 
I don't think a, I, I don't think the ACC is going to look like it does now in a few years. I don't think Clemson and Florida State are going to be there. Now, here's the follow-up. But Josh, they have to. That's what that grant of rights dictates. I know what it dictates. Here's what else I know. And I'm going to reiterate this again for you. Not that I have firsthand knowledge, just what some people in those really fancy suits with those law degrees hanging on the wall have told me and continue to tell me pretty emphatically, it's not as ironclad as you think it is. That's what they keep telling me. I'm going to blindly take their word for it, dangerous though that may be. I'm blindly taking their word for it. So the situation for those unfamiliar is they're not happy right now. Florida State and Clemson think they bring a greater than even percentage of the audience to the table in the ACC. They don't think that they're being paid enough, and really that stems from how much other people are being paid in other conferences. And you can understand that classic conundrum. Then you can also understand how, our first paper pop of the show, you can understand how the ACC walks up to him and says, is this your signature on this contract? As long as it is, shut your mouth. And then they say, that makes us angry. We don't like that tone. We want you to give us a little bit more money than everyone else gets. And then the ACC says, see our previous statement. And then they say, well, we're going to leave. And then the ACC says, you can't leave. And then they say, watch us. Somewhere between we're going to leave and you can't leave is where we are right now. I think we're going to pretty much get to the watch us portion of all of this. Because I don't know that they're going to rework that revenue distribution model over there. And as a result, I don't know how they're going to do it, but I think they may find a way to do it. There's too much on the line not to explore every option now. I'm not even getting into the whole who's right or who's wrong. I'm just telling you what is. And what is is you heard Michael Alford, the AD down at Florida State, you, you heard or at least read what he said at the BOT the other day, the Board of Trustees meeting. They said to him, Sounds like it's going to be really hard for you guys to exist in the same world as Florida does because Florida gets X amount millions more per year because they have the right sticker on their helmet than you. And Michael Alford said, no, it's not hard. It'll be impossible. Well, that indicates to me that they are beyond turning back. These are not idle threats. I don't know how it's going to end any more so than you do. I'm just saying there are some numbers that I have in front of me right now, and they don't translate well if you're an ACC member institution in the near future. All right, let's roll on here. I I told you guys on Late Kick Live Sunday night, you're going to have a lot of people out there who are guessing, and the biggest skill in the world when it comes to conference realignment is just say, I don't know. If you don't know, say, I don't know. You've heard me say, I don't know a lot lately. No one does. There's no skill in predicting it. Use the St. Helens metaphor again if you need to. I've used it too much this week. Hunter, next up. One of the more pressing questions of our time from Hobart, Arkansas. I need your advice on fall weddings. Don't we all, Hunter? Don't we all? It's one thing if you avoid getting sucked into one yourself. But very few of us are able to escape the death spiral that is a fall wedding invitation. It's just a shooting gallery every fall. And eventually, we're all victimized. I found the most surefire exit strategy, and that is to reasonably be able to tell someone, gotta work Saturday, man. Gotta work. So if you can become a coach, a player, or a member of the esteemed college football media, you got the get-out-of-jail-free card. 
Having said that, most of you probably aren't headed that direction in your professional careers. And um, so you get stuck. I get, I get emails by the dozens and dozens and dozens every weekend in the fall. Usually it starts around Thursday. Hey, I'm in a no-win situation. Help me out. I can't. You got to plan for this stuff in advance. You don't plan for the tornado once the sirens are going off, do you? Why would you plan for a fall wedding any different? Because they're both pretty disastrous to your future. And especially your ability to enjoy your fall Saturdays. So here's what I would say. Because the question involved the possibility of a Friday wedding. Not the question that was asked, but the latest question I got asked about Friday weddings was, are these permissible? And to that I say, not only are they permissible, I would encourage the Friday wedding in the fall. You're scared that people can't get off work to come to your wedding, and you shouldn't be. Because what they're not telling you, but what I will tell you, is they would much rather burn a vacation day and get your wedding out of the way on Friday so that they can have their Saturdays. They're not going to tell you. I'm telling you. And the other part of that is it is much better than the old trusty go-to that most of you try and get away with, and that is, I'll just schedule my wedding on a bye week. College football doesn't have a bye week. Your team does. College football doesn't. So unless you're an Auburn fan who's going to invite a 100% congregation full of fellow Auburn fans, you're being selfish. I don't know how else to hit you with it. You're being selfish. Now, here's the blowback that I'll get. So let me save you some time. I'll make your argument for you. Shame on you, JP. You're saying that college football is more important than my marriage, and I'm not saying that. I've never said college football is more important than your marriage. I'm saying college football is more important than your wedding. Not to you, but to everyone else. One of the big mistakes in life is assuming that everyone else thinks your wedding is as important or, yeah, your wedding is as important as you do. And that is a mistake. That's a mistake, friends. And some of your friends are just about that life enough to flat out tell you, I'm not going to be there. Most of them are too nice. Uh, nice guys either finish last or finish in a wedding chapel on a Saturday in the fall when LSU and Bama is about to kick off. And I don't want you to be in that position. So I'm just telling you, no bye weeks, Friday weddings, perfectly acceptable. Here's what else I found. I had Stats and Info do some research. And it turns out February, March, uh, what's next, Jesse? April and May, June, I think July and August. These are all approved dates to get married. All of those months are A-OK. -okay. And I would encourage more of you to take advantage of it. That's free. You guys can copy and paste that link and send it to anyone you need. We broke up a family last year. Remember that, Jesse? We broke up a family. A guy came to us. This is a true story. A guy came to me, said, I need your advice. I basically just gave the advice I gave. He backed out of one of his friend's weddings. He sent the link to the show to the friend. The friend then blows up on him. The guy screenshots the argument that he's having back and forth as a, an ex-groomsman with one of his best friends. And I got to be honest with you, it was one of our prouder moments because I freed that guy up for a Saturday. Um, I just want the credit and none of the blame. And we got it. We got exactly what we wanted. All right, next up here, Caleb asking about Joe Milton. Remember that name? Don't forget it. He said, if Joe Milton has a similar season to what Hendon Hooker did last year, I think he'll be viewed as a first-round pick because Joe Milton's arm makes him a special talent, whereas Hendon Hooker had nothing that made him special, which is why he's going to be a day three pick. 
All right, there was some editorialization there. There was a little mock draft thrown in there at the end. We'll see where Hindenhooker gets taken. Uh, that question came to us from Knoxville, Tennessee. We live in a post-Anthony Richardson mock draft world. And what that means essentially is, once I have watched Anthony Richardson's career play out as it did at Florida, and then I've watched someone mock draft him number one overall in the draft, anything's possible. Anything's on the table. Now, I don't know where he's going to be taken, but if I live in a world, now I'll have my ear to the ground as much as I can this week at the Combine for you. If we truly live in a world where Anthony Richardson's body of work in college is that irrelevant to where he's going to be taken, the Justin Herbert world, for example. We've seen it happen before. You don't have to give me the examples. But if we do live in that world, then certainly Joe Milton, what he just did in that bowl game against Clemson, if he performs at anywhere close to that level, extrapolated out over 12 games, absolutely, why not? Uh, people would ask why. I'd say, why not? I don't think about it from the mock draft standpoint, though. I'll tell you what I think about because I, frankly, I, this is going to sound heartless. I couldn't care less about what happens once you head off to Sunday ball. I'll root for you. I'll remember the good times we had. I care about what happens on Saturdays. And um, Joe Milton's got some Saturday ball left to play. So I'm thinking about this hypothetical here. And if you're right, if Hendon Hooker is taken day three, if he's just a late round draft pick, I'd look at it as a Tennessee fan or as a neutral observer, and I'd say Tennessee got that level of play out of a fifth round draft pick? Well, what could they get? What could Josh Heupel squeeze out of this cat? Or any cat in the future just brought a five-star named uh, Nico Iamaliava on campus. What could he do? I think, the dra I think that's the lesson you learn from the draft a lot of times. is uh, you're, you're about to watch some guys from Alabama go into the draft, and you know who they had on that team who eventually will be drafted. And that would lead you to rightly believe this last year's team underachieved. Well, likewise, if I were to watch Hendon Hooker go and be a day three selection... And he did what he did at quarterback, including hanging half a hundred on Alabama this year at Tennessee. Uh, that's, that's a really good indication. That is a bright green check mark. That's like a double thumbs up on the future of Tennessee football. And we don't, we don't actually have to go much further than walking distance from where I sit right now. Because they open against Virginia just across the Cumberland River in Nissan Stadium this fall. And they go to Florida in week three. Um, I know a lot of people make too much of bowl games sometimes, and I'm not trying to do that. I'm just trying to tell you, don't, don't forget how relatively average Hendon Hooker had been at Virginia Tech and then how extraordinary he performed at Tennessee. And don't forget how much, how much you had seen Joe Milton have trouble in the way of simple accuracy issues. He couldn't throw the football where he wanted it to go. It's pretty much a dead end. All your plays in the world don't matter if your guy can't release the football and make it go where he wants it to go. And then all of a sudden, he doesn't play all year. Then he shines in the bowl game, which leads you to believe, wait a second, did he just get better sitting on the bench? It's not unprecedented. Sarkeesian was able to pull that off of Jalen Hurts in 2018. And all of a sudden, they needed him in that SEC championship game. And Jalen Hurts comes in and wins the game, what, with his legs? No, he threw the ball against Georgia. And how did he do it? Because he worked his tail off, he stayed bought in, and he improved himself under better tutelage, even not starting. I think that may have happened with Joe Milton, and if it did, 
Uh, Tennessee's not dropping off a whole heck of a lot this year if that's happening. And also, if it's happening, yeah, you absolutely could see some, some first-round potential with Joe Milton. This does not serve as the late-kick 2024 mock draft, by the way. Next question on this lovely Wednesday morning, or Tuesday morning. We used to do this thing on Wednesday. Austin hit us up, and this one, mm, mm-mm. Colin, I, I know that you're going to cut this for individual use, so, so this is your end point here. Austin, I love you, and I really appreciate that you are contributing to the show in a meaningful, positive way, and that's where the pleasantries end. So just know what I'm about to do is not personal, but I'm going to have to eviscerate you here. He said, with the Cotton Bowl in the rough side of town, dealing with traffic for the fair and declining stadium experience, should the Red River shootout be moved to Jerry World? OU Texas. Austin's saying, do we take it out of the Cotton Bowl and do we move it over out into just that great patch of nothingness that AT&T Stadium is parked in? He continues, I feel like I know what your answer is going to be. But even I have come around to the idea of moving it. Well, that's a character flaw, Austin. It's not too late to fix yourself. We all have flaws about ourselves. One of yours is you think the Red River Shootout should exist anywhere other than the Cotton Bowl. The world is too sanitized now. I don't know how else to say it. The, the, the college football world has attempted to sanitize itself a little bit too much. The Cotton Bowl should never be sanitized. OU Texas should never be sanitized. You, you ought to suffer going to this game. You ought to have back pain for a week afterwards after having to sit on a metal bleacher for four hours. You should not be able to dress like you're going to the Kentucky Derby and feel comfortable at this game. You would in Jerry World. That right there, we're rolling B-roll in the studio. That is where that game belongs. It's the best experience I've had covering this sport. Two years ago, I got to go to this game for the first time. And as I've told you guys before, full disclosure... I thought they were overhyping the game. All those years I lived in the South, I thought the Iron Bowl was it. I thought Georgia-Florida was it. And I thought that those folks out in the Big 12 were hyping that game up just a little bit too much. And then I went to it. And I was wrong. Austin, just like you are now, I was wrong. And I have apologized profusely. Not only that, I call it the best experience I have ever been a part of in college football. The 50-50 crowd split. Uh, back and forth scoring. It helped that we had a, a just a firework explosion of a game. I walked out of the stadium and went and ate funnel cake at halftime. You're not doing that. You're not walking out of AT&T Stadium and going anywhere close because there is nothing close. You've got air conditioning every other day of the year. You don't need it, okay? Men have survived far worse than sitting out in the Texas sun for four hours. I want 65-year-old guys in saggy, sweat-drenched v-neck t-shirts. No one cares what they look like. No one cares that the bathrooms may be a little decrepit and there's the trough instead of the individual urinal. That's a beautiful thing. That's what it's supposed to look like. And I would encourage you, Austin, I don't know if you've been to this game or not, but I've been to the OU Texas game at the Cotton Bowl. I've been to several big games at AT AT&T Stadium. It's an immaculate venue. If I was playing a concert, I'd prefer it to be there. If I was holding WrestleMania, I would prefer it to be there. But we're not. We are not pro wrestling promoters or concert promoters. I am trying to actively promote, dare I say salvage, the greatest parts of the greatest sport on this planet. And one of the greatest things, 
when it comes to that game is the ambiance. The Cowboys play in that stadium. I don't care where they play. But when OU and Texas play, there is a lot about where that game is parked that contributes to the pageantry and ambiance and tradition of what makes the game great, why I ever heard about it to begin with. So it it just disappoints me. I'm not mad at you, Austin. I'm just a little disappointed. Atmosphere matters. Authenticity matters. And I don't get that over at a sanitized, climate-controlled venue, which I've already got to watch in the playoffs and national title game and however far you guys are about to expand that postseason. Just please, can we cling to one or two bits of tradition about this sport instead of overhauling everything? Get off my lawn, Austin. I'm messing with you. I love you. Next up, interesting question here. Dustin hit us up and said, do you see brands like Nike or Under Armour getting involved in NIL to the extent of gaining exclusive rights to entire conferences? Example, Under Armour holding exclusive rights to Big Ten school logos for licensing purposes and players being considered Under Armour athletes. I can't rule that out. I do question on the surface whether the value proposition is there for the apparel companies. So what he's saying is you already know that Georgia is a Nike school, but what if the SEC was a Nike conference? And I could, I could see a world where we, where we delve into those waters. I just I wonder if the value proposition is there for the apparel companies. These aren't mom and pop shops. They're not LLCs. These are publicly traded companies. So you can't just on a whim decide that you're doing that. It's got to be it's got to be the right move for business. And if you've already got your check mark or your Under Armour logo, if you've already got that on helmets and if you've already got it on the branding from the shoes to the uniforms and it's very very visible on Saturdays, I don't know that I need to saturate the market any more than that. Now, on the college football fan side of things, you don't really care about what I just said. What you want to know is, is a Nike ever going to disproportionately prop up Oregon football? To that, I would say they already do. I'm not sure how much more they could do. But then you get really down to the nuts and bolts. And what some of you just flat out want to know is, is someone like Phil Knight ever just going to decide... I'm throwing five million bucks per year in this collective. Let's go. Game on. I don't know, but it kind of it kind of redirects the question that was just asked there. Because that's that's a Phil Knight thing. That's not a Nike thing. You're asking about the overall apparel companies, and will they ever just say, hey, instead of what we pay individual entities, let's just let's just go all in. Let's just partner with the Big Ten. Let's partner with the SEC. And these these athletes now are Nike or Under Armour athletes in exchange for signing their letter of intent with a member institution in that conference. Also, I'm not sure how much that would hold up. I want you to picture this before we move on. Let's say I go to Michigan. Let's say, what, what Michigan Adidas, Jesse, or Under Armour? Jordan. Jordan, yeah. Okay, this is a bad example. Okay, so let's just say uh, Auburn. Auburn's an Under Armour school. So let's say I go to Auburn, which is an Under Armour school. But Nike comes to me, far-fetched though it may be, just work with me here. Nike comes to me and they want to make me a brand ambassador for Nike as a college athlete. Is Auburn really about to have the legal grounds? Are they really about to have the ability to look me in the eye and say, you are forbidden 
from taking that Nike money because you're an Under Armour athlete. And, and I look at them and say, I never agreed to that. And they said, we agreed to it for you. You agreed to it when you signed your letter of intent. Uh, I know in a bygone world, you may look at it and say, tough, kid. That's the breaks. We don't live in that world anymore. That whole player empowerment movement we've been in lately makes me think anytime you upset players and anytime, anytime it looks like the power dynamic starts to shift against the players, I would quiver every night when I laid my head down if I were administrator thinking that I'm taking a step that's a little bit too over the line because I know how many lawyers out there are hungry for me to do exactly that. So I don't know that we're going to go there. But if it did happen, it's not like I would be shocked. It's not exactly my area of expertise. I'm going to take a sip out of, not the chalice, because it's merely a podcast. But we do have a nice, plain, clear Dixie cup here. Same mysterious liquid. Let's, uh, let's roll on here. Another, another pressing question. What would be different about the sport if COVID and the 2020 COVID season never happened from Tampa, Florida? You know how many different directions you could go with the answer to this question? You could go anywhere you want to. You could say the championships would have been different. You could say some coaches wouldn't have been fired. You can say some players would not have had another year of eligibility that contributed to championship teams this past year. And all of it would be accurate. It's, it's like trying to nail jello to the wall, but it would be accurate in, in summarizing things that way. But you know where my mind went? Actually, I was going to talk about more on-the-field matters, but I'll speak personally. There is nothing that turned over our industry more than that COVID year. And that was when I was brand new here, and me and Director Colin were all alone down in, down in the studio in Brentwood, Tennessee, and I got here, and then a couple of months later, building got hit by a tornado on March 3rd. And then we go into lockdown a couple of weeks after that. And then Director Colin and I are just kind of floating out there. What do we do? Where, where, hello? Is anyone here? Nope. Office was locked down. We were the only two people. Remember that, Colin? We were the only two people who had access to the building. And um, so we were just, they tossed us in the pool and didn't give us a single swimming lesson. We figured our way out, though. We weren't complete idiots. We figured our way out. But Director Colin and I had several conversations. But I remember one of the conversations when we, when we started to see COVID shift from just something that was happening to something everyone had an opinion on. I said, Colin, we may screw everything else up about this show, but you, you will drag me out of here before you see me talking about this stuff on air. This is a college football show. People are getting hit every direction imaginable out in the world whether it be through podcasts, TV, in the workplace, on Zoom meetings, about what everyone else thinks about COVID-19. I told Colin and I told the management powers that be, we're not talking about it. We will bring coaches on, we will interview them, but we're not talking about it with them either. I'll ask them how things are going, how are you adjusting. We are not editorializing, we're not going to talk anything about our opinion, and even run the risk of politicizing this show. So you may be listening and thinking to yourself, that is the most basic concept in the world. A blind monkey could figure that out. Sure could. Which makes it all the more spectacularly mind-boggling that hardly anyone else did. Everyone fell in the same trap. 
everyone assumed that because there was a mic in front of them, you must be interested in my opinion on, on how the current administration or a future administration would handle COVID. I don't care what your opinion is on it. Therefore, I don't think you care what my opinion was. And furthermore, even if you did care, there are plenty of other places you could go for that. I realized we were doing the one thing that may be keeping you sane. We used to get emails by the hundreds every day of people saying, thank you for having one bit of normalcy that gets left in my life. Everything else is turned upside down, but I know I can come to that show that you just started, and you guys are just going to talk about college football. You don't even know if we're going to have a season this year, but you're just talking about what I love. It's an escape. We heard that so much, which kind of reinforced that we were doing things the right way. But here's what happened, and here, here's the answer to the question. I, I believe in my heart of hearts our show would have succeeded. We got too many good people here. People are too invested, and you guys are too hungry for the content for it not to have succeeded. But I don't know that it would have skyrocketed like it did because our numbers just, they scaled so rapidly. It's the hockey stick effect in analytics. And I know what it was because of. It was because the places that you had become accustomed to being able to go to get your college football content all of a sudden started to deliver, deliver things to you that you didn't want. And you didn't lose your appetite. It's just the meal wasn't as good anymore where you had been going. And so you started to look. And it is the benefit of working at a place like 24-7 CBS to where our platform is big enough to where they got our show in front of you. And here we are. So you could talk about whether so-and-so would have won a title, whether so-and-so would still have his job, or whether so-and-so wouldn't have his job. I, want, I wonder, it's baseless speculation, but I wonder whether our show would be as successful, which is, which is so counterintuitive because you think of that time period as a terrible time. I lost family members. I'm no different than the rest of you. It was a really, really difficult time. I know some of you are small business owners who, who still have not come back from it. I've got that in my family as well. So I know the real world implications, and yet we sit here, and it's almost humbling, and it almost makes you ashamed to admit such things, but we enjoyed, we enjoyed overwhelming success professionally during that time. I don't brag about it at all, trust me. I'm very thankful for it because you're the reason for it. And I'm not, it's not lost on me that a lot of you going through the worst times in your lives contributed to one of the best times in ours with your viewership and your listenership. So anything that we did to even remotely help you guys maintain some sense of normalcy, you've returned to us hundredfold. And so I put out those thank you alerts all the time, but that's, that's where the thank you alert was generated in realizing what was happening. Colin and I used to talk about it all the time. We realized what was happening real time, and it was, it was incredible then. It's still incredible now. All right, let's roll it on. Uh, an, an infectious disease expert I am not, so we'll roll it back on and we'll talk about college football. Um, where were we going to go after that? Home college football playoff games, I think, was where we were going next. Yeah, home playoff games. So one of you hit us up, Steelers Nation actually hit us and said, can you talk a little bit about what you expect the scene to look like at home playoff games in the future? I think it'll be one of the very few good things to come out of expansion from Lancaster, PA. I agree with the sentiment at the end. So I'm going to do you a favor, those of you who are pro-expansion, I'm not putting you through it today. We'll save it for another day. So we're just going to, we're going to ignore my 17 objections to college football playoff expansion. 
We're going to put it over to the side, out of sight, out of mind. You're right. Once I've removed all of the detractive arguments I could make, uh, home playoff games be incredible. Home playoff games would be just phenomenal. Every home, every home college football game is great. So imagine putting postseason implications on them. It, it's like, you know, it's like being able to see what you always fantasized about or speculated about, but you never thought it was going to be a reality. Some of you, even in the expansionist side of the camp, thought that if we got expansion, it wouldn't coincide with having home playoff games. Now, if I were you guys, and I am in this in this venture. I'm mad we don't get more of them, but it is what it is. So, you know, they, they toss you the crumbs, eat up, gobble up anything you can, and be thankful they gave it to you, even though it is you that empowers them, not the other way around. But I don't want to go down, I don't want to go on that tangent again. So the home playoff game spectacle will be phenomenal. I've never suggested otherwise. In fact, I've never said the playoff itself won't be really interesting. I've, I've just kind of poo-pooed what it takes to get it. But... Home playoff games? Yeah. And then also, here's what we'll finally get. We may get that thing that I've always been told should happen but doesn't happen, and that is southern teams going up north to play football games late in the year. I have it on good authority from my friends in Madison and my friends in State College and Ann Arbor and and everywhere in between, Lincoln, Nebraska, you're going to get in this playoff action? I have it on good authority that if a team from Tuscaloosa or Austin or Gainesville ever had to go up there and the temperature was below 40 degrees, they'd be screwed. And I don't know how true or false it is. I'm not suggesting that I have seen the future and I know it's going to be irrelevant. Quite the opposite. I would imagine Georgia would have a difficult go of things in Madison, Wisconsin in December. I'm just saying Wisconsin would have a tough time, a little tough go of it, just because Georgia's lined up on the other side, regardless of what the temperature is outside. So anyway, I think all that will play itself out. We don't really have to speculate too much on that. But um, I will say, remember the calendar. Just remember the calendar. And I don't think this is going to be a problem for everyone, but I do think it's going to be a problem for someone. And by remember the calendar, I mean... They're going to have those games, correct me if I'm wrong, they're going to have those games around when your Christmas break would be. So some of you are going to have to suck it up. You got a home playoff game. You can't go home for Christmas at the same time you were going to go home for Christmas. Now, I'm sure, knowing you guys like I do, we got a massive college audience. I know if, if your program's making the playoff, enough of you are sticking around campus if the reason you're sticking around is, I got to attend our home playoff game at least early on. Uh, Several years into the playoff, hopefully that's still the case, and hopefully they've given us more home playoff games several years into the playoff. But yeah, I I look forward to that. That particular aspect I look forward to. I've been anti-expansion, but I've never told you that I hate everything about expansion. So there you go. I'm just, it's really interesting when we talk about what is and isn't predictable. Like, I I don't know how Southern teams would prepare and then play in the North. You don't even know in those cities what the forecast is going to be and what the weather is going to be uh, a week ahead of time, much less years ahead of time. It's hard to see coming, just like this. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. 
Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Baseball has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. You've, you've never felt anyone hit their stride like I have hit my stride in the ambush ad toss. Jesse gave me a 9.3. Jesse always sandbags on my 1 to 10 scale rating of unpredictability. So a 9.3 is about the highest I've ever gotten. There's no way you knew that was coming. Let us roll on. Jack from Birmingham. <laughs> Jack's barking up the wrong tree. He said, what does a normal week of cardio look like for you when you're not traveling? I detest cardio. It is cardio no for me, but I had an awakening back in the day. I was at Max Fitness on Tower Road in Columbus, Georgia, uh, ignoring the elliptical machines as I am wont to do. And then a guy came in with a prosthetic leg, a wounded warrior, and he took the prosthetic leg off and proceeded to do cardio with one leg. I've never felt worse about myself in my life. I think I've told this story before. And ever since then, I've done cardio because the good Lord has blessed me with a fully functioning body. And it is pathetic if you don't use it. And so I do cardio. I do not love treadmills at all. I have self-diagnosed myself with small lungs. So that means I cannot long distance run like some of you can. Uh, What I do love to do is like the HIIT stuff, the high intensity interval training, love to run hills which most people detest. It was never punishment for me in football and baseball. I love running hills. Big glutes, big paychecks, as Meemaw would say. So I love running hills, love biking, although I don't currently own one, so I need to change that. And I also think one of the biggest hidden factors is you have to work tempo into your actual lifting routine. You can get cardio work in while you're lifting. If you'll leave your phone in the locker And don't get preoccupied with refreshing a social feed between every set. Work in supersets. Work in tempo. Understand how long there is between the time that bar hits the rack to the time you break it off the rack again. Because you'll find, you may find yourself breathing pretty hard if you're doing that the right way. That is my take on cardio. Hopefully, Hopefully it delivered the way you wanted it to. Next up, back on the field we go. And we've got to go to a place I already mentioned a little while ago. All Things Indy said, Late Kick Faithful here. Thoughts on the state of Notre Dame football? You had the Drod Parker internal hire. Matt Luke turns down the O-line job. It's not the only job Matt Luke's turned down. I just don't think he wants to get back in it right now. So that's not a shot at Notre Dame. Uh, also, he said, future as an independent with all the conference realignment. What's going to happen? There's been some criticism as of late with the way that Notre Dame as a whole, as an entity, hired the Andy Ludwig offensive coordinator coaching search thing, and eventually it turns out that the athletic director, Jack Swerbrick, has to write you a letter. Yes, that happened. He famously quoted Terrence Mann 
who is the character James Earl Jones plays in Field of Dreams, and he told you that he appreciates your passion, misdirected though it may be, it is still a passion. That's what he tried to tell you. I laughed, you laughed, everyone laughed but Jack Schwarberg. He looked around and said, what's everyone laughing about? Ivory Tower Syndrome. So, we still didn't really get to the bottom of it. We, we still really don't know what happened there. A lot of people think they know. So this is once again where we apply that skill that is so rare this day and age. Just say, I don't know. I don't know because Marcus Freeman has not spoken his mind on that. And if he's a good soldier, he probably realizes this is not a hill worth dying on. I had to elevate my tight ends coach in a search that we once upon a time called a national search, which is usually an indication that that wasn't plan A, B, C, or D, but it, be that as it may, he elevated who he elevated. There is a big debate that happens all the time in Notre Dame circles, and it sounds a little something like this. Notre Dame alumni think that Notre Dame is a university with a football program attached to it. Subway alumni, as they would call them, I just saw this over on Irish Illustrated the other day. That's our 24-7 uh, Notre Dame board. Subway alumni, in other words, those who didn't go to Notre Dame, but they root for Notre Dame, they would call Notre Dame a football program with a university attached to it. And then they clash. And then some alumni would say, uh, that is a bastardization at best of how we feel. And the Subway alumni would say, do you realize how much money you make off of us? Everyone's right. And uh, so, therefore, I'm not hating on you. I'm just saying, when you tell me, which some of you do, that you're not interested in being Alabama, I listen to you. And I don't have a problem with it. You run your program and university the way you want to run it. I just come back when you get mad that there are budgetary limitations Marcus Freeman gets told no on something Nick Saban doesn't get told no on because there's no one there to tell Nick Saban no. And you get mad about it. I always look and I say, weren't you the same person who told me you don't want to be Alabama? See, the argument would go something like this. For the crowd that thinks Notre Dame is a university with an athletic appendage attached to it, they would say, we're not going to do it like the big boys do down south. That way, yeah, it'll be frustrating and aggravating and the winds will be fewer and further between. But if we ever get one, it'll make it all the more sweeter because we did it the right way, the Notre Dame way. I don't say this mockingly. I'm going to tell you for the third time. Thrice, I've told you. You do things the way you want to do things. I have full respect for it. But when we get into these kinds of conversations, that's what I remember. So should I expect Notre Dame? to be as aggressive as an LSU would have been there or as an Oklahoma would have been, I don't expect that. Until further notice, I don't expect that. And as Bruce Hornsby would say, that's just the way it is. I still think they can win. I just think they have to thread the needle a little bit more. I remember when we had Brian Kelly on uh, the show last year or two years ago, he was the head coach at Notre Dame at the time, so it was two years ago. He said, candidly, I know going into a recruiting cycle there are kids I don't even waste my time on that the Georgias and Floridas of the world are fighting to the nail against for. That's, that's a different set of circumstances. We've always known that, but it just it stands to be reiterated in arguments like this. So Notre Dame, look, I think that they finished the season really strong last year. I, I think the world of Marcus Freeman as a person, I don't think that I'm the best qualified to gauge whether he'll be successful as a coach, only because I think there's a lot outside of his control that will factor into that. That's really what it boils down to. There are just more external factors out of Marcus Freeman's control 
that are going to determine his fate than maybe someone at one of those programs down south. So if you can, if that's palatable for you, go Irish. Next up, we had a question about whether I had any train hopping stories to give you. You wanted one? I'll give you one. Statute of limitations has passed on this one. Um, for those unfamiliar, I, I participate in these activities every now and then. I don't smoke. I don't drink. I don't do drugs. I, I walk the straight and narrow, okay? But if, there are some things that are illegal that I do. And one of them is I just hop a freight train every now and then. It is what it is. Sue me. Don't sue me. That's the opposite of what we're trying to do here. But once upon a time, I had never done this before. Like 99% of you, I had never hopped on a freight train. Then I did. We had one of those classic quarry conundrums. We were at a rock quarry in Harris County, Georgia. Again, I've checked statute of limitations on this. And we get ourselves up on what is called a ballast car. And ballast is just a fancy term for the rocks on the side of the railroad tracks. Well, they got to haul those things out of rock quarries to your local town to dump them on the side of the rails. So every night up in Harris County, Georgia, they would haul hundreds of cars full of ballast out of the rock quarry and back down to Columbus and take it wherever eventually they take that stuff. So it's nighttime. We hid in a, a hidden uh, Civil War cemetery. True story. It's, they're just all over the place. Revolutionary War cemeteries are all over the place in the South. And they're just out in the middle of the woods. So we're hiding in one that's about 30 yards from the rails. And we know when they pull those cars out onto the main line, we know the engine that pulls the cars out has to detach itself and go all the way on a sidetrack to the front of the train. So we got it figured out. We're just going to wait for those units, those engines, to go past. We'll climb up on top of the rocks. We're set. We'll just ride that car into town. We've already got our hopping off point figured out. We're good. Problem, friends. Once we got up on those cars and the lead engines had passed, we thought we were free and clear. We're good to go. So we're up there chatting, talking at the volume I'm talking right now because we're, we're way, we're, we're like 50 cars away from the engines. No way anyone's going to hear us. Except if, for example, someone had to be at the end of that train to switch the tracks back. And then that someone had to walk all the way to the front of the train. They could hear you, couldn't you? Well, we didn't realize that until it was too late. We didn't hear the crunch, crunch, crunch on the rocks because we were too busy running our mouths. But we saw that flashlight shine up there. So we lay straight back on the rocks. We're staring up at the sky. We have never been in trouble, okay? We are not kids who were in and out of juvie. We cannot have this stuff happening to us. Also, we were on the high school baseball team at the time. So we lay backwards. And I just expect to hear clank, clank, clank. That guy's climbing the ladder and he's going to come up there and catch us. What I didn't realize is he didn't know us either. So for all he knew, we were armed and dangerous. And he viewed it as not in his best interest to climb that thing and find out who was up there. So he shined his light up there, never said anything. He shined his light up there just to let us know that he knew. And then he went on about his way. So we breathe a sigh of relief. And we didn't realize that we should have gotten off at the time. They start that train up. We ride it all the way into Columbus. It stops. We get off at our hot point. They have called the rail police and had them waiting for us there. And so we dismount. And as soon as we hit the ground, there they are. About 20 cars up from us, there they are. Standing there waiting on us. 
And so we did the only mature and responsible thing that kids with everything to lose could do. We ran. And we got away. We, one of us, shan't be named, tumbled down a hill, but we got away. And uh, ever since then, number one, I have retired from ballast hopping, and I encourage you to do the same. And number two, I have, I have really ratcheted up the protocol for when we put ourselves in those situations. So there's a story for you. I don't even think my parents know that story, but there's a story for you. All right, let's, let's talk about football here. I appreciate you guys listening. By the way, if you haven't already, something like 50% of you still have not subscribed to the feed. And I'm, I'm, I'm begging you. Some people say they're not begging. I'm begging you. I'm not too proud. I will beg you. Just follow slash subscribe, whatever vernacular you want to use. Just click that button. It's free. Nothing else happens to you. And you help us out a whole lot. I appreciate it. All right, so Tyler said, how much of an impact do you believe weather will have on a team's performance after realignment? For example, the L.A. schools playing in the snow more often from Tempe, Arizona. I think it's going to have an impact. Again, this is so rare. I don't think people realize how rare it is that Big Ten teams play in the snow. Oh, that's crazy. I remember this game and this game and that game. I do too. I didn't say it never happens. I said it's rare. You got to understand, meteorologically, the overlap with the minimum baseline requirements to get snow and the college football season is only about a month long. It can only happen in November. So you got like three weeks in some places, maybe, where you could get snow. Extreme outliers notwithstanding. And even then, it has to line up. The game has to line up at exactly the time where it's snowing. And yeah, it happens every now and then. But it doesn't happen nearly as often as the more romanticized versions of Big Ten football when they're told would lead you to believe it does. So then you got to understand, it's going to be even more rare. It's going to have to be even more a perfect case or worst case scenario for UCLA to be playing in, uh, let's say, Iowa City against Iowa in late November. Because what I don't know is how the travel situation is going to work out with the West Coast teams. I have no clue. I assume they'll be treated like everyone else, but I don't know that. Uh, but here's the other thing I just want to remind you of. You want to be anecdotal with me, I'll be anecdotal with you. I've been to L.A. three times in the past year. The last time was for the national title game, and it poured down rain. They told me it never rained in Southern California. They lied to me. So, of course, it was cold and windy then. But the last two other times I went out there would have been UCLA-USC, which was late November, it was freezing in the Rose Bowl. Everyone was wearing a jacket. Oh, it's nice. It's 70 degrees until the sun sets. So it was cold there that night. We were at Elite 11 in the middle of July, and I kid you not, the first and only time yours truly has gone to Lululemon was when I found myself ill-prepared for how cold it gets next to the ocean in Los Angeles, marine layer and all, even in July. So I've been freezing the last two times I went out there. So I know it's not exactly freezing. I know it's not exactly winter precipitation. But cold weather can happen more places than you think it can happen. These folks aren't just playing in 85-degree weather every week. Uh, but if you were to tell me, hey, Southern Cal, Lincoln Riley's offense this weekend is going to have to go to State College, Pennsylvania. High is going to be 28, three inches of snow accumulating during the game. Yes, it's going to have a... It's going to have an impact. Yes, I'm not going to deny that. J Producer Jesse 
took it upon himself to look up the average highs and lows on campuses in November. Average high in LA, 73. But what he wanted to point out is, if you look at the average low in LA in November, it's 53, which is not too dissimilar from what the average highs are in Madison, Minneapolis, Ames, East Lansing in November. You may think, oh, the average temperatures are in the 20s. They're not. They're everywhere in the Big Ten. The coldest place in the Big Ten is Minneapolis, Minnesota, where the average high in November is 44 degrees. And take it from me. I'm an aspiring weatherman. So, yeah, it's going to happen. Someone's eventually going to find themselves in a situation where, I mean, Chip Kelly's in, in Madison, Wisconsin, and it's just snowing sideways. Yeah, they're screwed that day. They're screwed. It is what it is. If, if I, look, if I were the Big Ten... I would value my product and I would want a healthy balance of setting that up versus being able to see the Buckeyes play in LA the third week of November. Because those TV executives, yeah, they love the spectacle of snow, but they know a more entertaining product is going to be on the field the warmer it is. And I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but that is the way those kind of folks think. I know because I'm in meetings with them every week. I know how they think. All right, last question here. I'm not supposed to tell you it's the last question because the studies show you tune out quicker when I say that. But I know you better than they do. So last question. Cheddar Bob hit us up and said, For those who did not attend college and went the blue-collar route, do you have to attend a school to be considered a true diehard fan of that program from Palm Coast, Florida? No. You have to have attended the school to be considered alumni. That's it. I could not care less if you've never set foot on campus a day in your life. There's, there's this haughty attitude that some who attended a university, like some of our Pate State alumni, they look at some of our sidewalk alumni and they say, we're better than you. And I'm like, guys, the entire university is fictitious. You are fictitious. You are make-believe. Why are you making fun of the other make-believe folks? It's a problem. It's a problem and we're dealing with it internally. But I just ask this. Could you find me a program out there that's got a 100,000-seat stadium that was funded by alumni? Could you find me a 100,000-seat stadium that's being filled by alumni every week? It doesn't exist. And it's because this sport is not built for alumni. It's built for a mass audience. And so when I go to State College, Pennsylvania, or I go to Columbus, Ohio, or Athens, Georgia, or Eugene, Oregon, we wouldn't have what we have if it weren't for mass inclusion of fans of all walks of life. And, and the other part is, look, I'm, I'm not here to, to tell you whether or not to go to college. I dropped out of college, went back and got my degree. So I've lived every way imaginable. But I will tell you this. You, there are some folks out there who are the most skilled, talented people that you'll ever come across who don't tote a college degree around. And there are some of the most lost people in this society that you'll ever meet that do tote one around. So it's not the end all be all to have that piece of paper. Do you have skills? I sit in job interviews here all the time, and I'm telling you right now, it's great that you got that college degree on that resume. We don't ask you where you went to school. We ask you what you can do. So you may have come off the street corner. If you can run all this editing software, and you're brilliant with social media, or you could string together sentences in a way that makes an audience lean in, couldn't care less where you went to school. Conversely, if you came from the top J school in the country, but you can't think for yourself, and you can't read and react on your feet really quick, you're of no use. That's a tangent. That's what we call that. It's a tangent. They did teach me that in J school. But 
No. I'm so glad that you don't have to have attended a school to be a diehard fan. Because every game would feel like a lightly attended spring game. And that would suck. It would absolutely suck. So thank you. Also, it's not lost on me, our show wouldn't exist if the only people who were allowed to care about this stuff were alumni. That argument, it just always gets me for some reason. <sighs> All right. We've got other things to do around here. I know you've got other things to do. I appreciate you guys being here every week. And I also appreciate that you continue to share the show. I see the numbers. I know you're sharing it. I don't even ask you to do it anymore. That's how effective you have been doing it. So from all of us to you, thank you. For producer Jesse, for director Colin, for myself, take care. Have a great rest of your week. We'll be live from Indianapolis Thursday night, or so they tell me. Until then, take care and God bless.